Remember that you ought to behave in life as you would at a banquet. As something is being passed around, it comes to you. Stretch out your hand, take a portion of it politely. It passes on, do not detain it. Or it has not yet come to you. Do not project your desire to meet it, but wait until it comes in front of you. So act towards children, so toward a wife, so toward office, so toward wealth. And Epictetus there is making an analogy between the person who can basically navigate a dinner party well uh, and someone who lives life well. Welcome to Stoic Conversations. In this podcast, Michael Tremblay and I discuss the theory and practice of Stoicism. Each week, we'll share two conversations, one between the two of us, and another will be an in-depth conversation with an expert. This episode is all about food. What does the Stoic eat? More generally, how do they think about issues of diet? Zooming into a particular issue like this is a useful way to crystallize how Stoics think about practical issues. That's exactly what Michael and I do in this conversation. We don't have any specific meal recommendations or meal plans, at least not yet, but we talk about the sort of considerations Stoics argued we should keep in mind. Here is our conversation. Welcome to Stoic Conversations. My name is Caleb Ontiveros. And I'm Michael Tremblay. And what did you eat today, Michael? I had rice, peppers, and salmon. That's what, that's what I had today. What about I'm you, Caleb? I had a spinach pasta for lunch and then had a small dessert with that lunch, which was vanilla ice cream and a chocolate chip cookie. So oh, dessert for lunch. That's nice. Yeah. That's controversial. It is controversial. So today we're going to be talking about stoicism and food. And, you know, maybe we'll have a better sense of whether that was too decadent of a early decision <laughs> earlier today. But I think I think the discussion about stoicism and food is interesting and important. First, just because food diet itself is clearly an important aspect of human lives. You know, what we eat is a matter, it's what the Stoics would call is largely indifferent. What you consume isn't going to make or break your life. It's not going to determine what's happy or not, but rather, you know, how you use indifference is what contributes to happiness, whether that's health, wealth, customs, or food. So, and food is what we're going to be talking about. Today, that's the relevant indifference. We're going to be talking about the proper uses of food. So there's that aspect to it. And then eating also just such a personal and communal matter. And as such, I think warrants attention, warrants some amount of philosophical thought. And then one, one other note I have here on why it's important to discuss is that I think several myths about Stoicism emerge when you think about things like stoicism and diet, stoic views on the importance of norms, whether stoics, you know, are statue-like creatures who don't enjoy foods, this sort of thing. And I think it's an opportunity to rebut some of those stoic myths while also exploring uh, an important matter of living, which is, you know, what are we gonna eat? Yes, I like your point about eat deeply personal, something that everybody does, you know, besides maybe we think about memento mori or the importance of thinking about death. Well, 
food is going also going to be that thing that's one of those things that's consistent in everyone's life and very personal in your relationship with it. But then also that communal aspect you mentioned is that it's, there's a cultural family friendship component to it too. So yeah, food's important. Who knew? Food's in, food is important. I'll say it here. Right. So for the purpose of this conversation, we'll touch on a number of quotes, number of passages from the ancient Stoics, some lines that they have on food. I got some lines from Musonius Rufus and Seneca in particular here. And use those sort of as a springboard for we can think of as, you know, the Stoic conclu- conclusions. What, do, what, are the, what are the Stoic upshots for us today about thinking about food? So we'll start with Musonius Rufus. And m- one reason Musonius Rufus is, is so great is that he's always concerned about these very specific practical matters. You know, what's the right vocation for a philosopher? Should philosophers have beards or not? And of course, one of those matters is food. So here's a a line from some notes on Musonius Rufus. He often talked in a very forceful manner about food on the grounds that food was not an insignificant topic and that what one eats has significant consequences. In particular, he thought that mastering one's appetites for food and drink was the beginning of the basis for self-control. On one occasion, he dispensed with his other customary topics, and he had the following to say about food. Instead of reading out that longer passage, perhaps I'll, I'll just stop there. Any thoughts on that passage from Musonius, Michael? Yeah, well, I mean, the part that draws my mind is that mastering one's appetite for food and drink was the beginning of the basis of self-control. And what that makes me think of is this idea of, look, if we think of self-control or moderation, in a lot of cases for people... We could think about moderation in terms of these these broader virtues, like you know, being the correct amount of courageous and not foolhardy and not, but not also cowardly. You can think of, can think of moderation as as finding that kind of Aristotelian mean in these situations. But for most people, if you talk to a normal person, a non philosopher of moderation, they're going to think in terms of pleasure, right? They're going to think in terms of that 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 base relationship with things like food, drink drugs, you know, gambling, these kind of vices, I guess, and and the kind of associated pleasures that come with those. And so I think food has this really interesting relationship where your it's a, it's necessary. It has a, it has like necessary biological functions, but then it also has this relationship with pleasure, right? And so the way I'm understanding that part is this idea of like look, you this is a kind of pleasure you have to confront. It's not something you can just abstain from. And so you have to figure out while engaging in it, how to engage with it the right way. So while eating every day, how to eat the right amount in an appropriate amount, a temperate amount. And so if you can, if you can do that, that's that first real exposure, I would say, to self-control. And it's it's a, I don't know, a pretty kind of robust type of self-control. But that's that's my thought is that that immediate relationship between f- food and pleasure and what that says about your capacity to moderate yourself and how that's important for stoicism. Yeah, it's almost this view of eating as a training ground where food is obviously something that can be so pleasurable and that brings forth the opportunity to use food, use pleasure, or I should say rather relate to pleasure in a moderate and virtuous way. 
And it's the sort of thing that anyone can do since we all need to eat in order to be nourished, which I think just brings up the other issue of like, what's the general purpose of food to begin with? Because that's a consideration that you can use to answer questions like, okay, moderation isn't a virtue. Moderation involves finding the right amount of things. One way to find the right amount of things is to have an account of the purpose or the goal of a given of a given thing. So on that front, we have some more lines from Musonius Rufus. To summarize the whole subject of food, I say that the goal of eating is to bring about both health and strength. Consequently, one should eat only inexpensive foods and should be concerned with decency and appropriate moderation, and most of all, with restrained and studious behavior. So in our episode on Musonius Rufus, we coined that one way to think about Musonius Rufus is almost as a Spartan minimalist. He's not an ascetic. He doesn't think, oh, you should fast and reject all the worldly goods in order to become more virtuous. But he does have this serious minimalist streak. He does explicitly ad admire different stories of the Spartans who are either rejecting pleasures or submitting themselves to pain and by doing so becoming or displaying their strength, their courage, what have you. So I think that's what this, this passage brings to mind. It's you know, very focused. What's the purpose of food? It's to bring about health and strength. You know, as such, you should eat with those goals in mind, which means to have really a pretty minimalistic focus on food. Yeah, I like that. I mean, because one way you can read this, I mean, I'm not a psychologist by any means. Well, I'm not trained in psychology. But I think about sometimes with people's relationship with food, sometimes it's made worse by a kind of hyper obsession or focus on food, you know, as this like this, this sometimes people's relationship with food is made worse by stressing about it. And so sometimes when I, sometimes when I think this, it's like the best moderation is to just not, not stress about it and just, you know, try to not, I guess, not overly structure or systematize your diet and what you eat. And I, I, I think there's something to be said for that. And I, 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 I like, I think there's this question to say, well, what does, you know, what does this, this Roman have to tell me about my diet and how I eat? But the, stoicism isn't, as you pointed out, it's not even, Sonius Rufus here isn't even as, as extreme as other people in that time, right? Like they're not, the Stoics aren't, as far as I know, advocating for fasts. They're not advocating for kind of extreme situations. Masonius is just pointing out, look, in anything you do, especially something that's indifferent, right? The only thing that's good all the time is virtue. So any indifferent is good conditionally, which means that it's good to try to bring about something or for some sort of ends. So what's the ends, you know, that you're, you're trying to bring about? Well, it's, a, it's a appropriate natural action behavior. And in this case, to nourish your body, to make your body strong as a, as a rational animal. It's also partly an animal. That's a, that's a long way of going about saying, look, the, the Masonis is basically saying the function of food is to, is to strengthen your body. So if you eat like that, you're golden. And all these other problems come up when you start using food for some other function, start using it for some other purpose, whether that's pleasure, as we talked about, whether that's, I don't know, maybe something like stress relief, whether that's something like 
I guess, I guess maybe in indulgence or kind of a showing off kind of thing. But if you're just like, look, I mean, I think of this inexpensive food thing, I think of kind of rice and chicken, you know, this kind of just get your basics that you need, get those kind of macro nutrients that you require. And that's, that's be done with it. Right. That's, that's kind of the end of the function of that and beyond to something else. I think there's something compelling to that. I, I think that's a, that's a, it's a very Masonius Rufus take, as you would say, with this kind of not, not extreme, but very minimalist. Let's not add things we don't need to add. So in this case, let's get, let's get the nutrients we need and, and that's it. And we're done with food. Yeah. I think one of Musonius's first lectures, usually in, in the collections of uh, lectures and fragments he will, will put together, the first entry is typically titled something like, why you do not need many arguments to make a point. <laughs> and I think Musonius does have this insight that having a kind of, a kind of focus, not being simple to the point where you blur together important details, but focus being simple in the sense of having a clear understanding of things and being able to pick out what's most important is an idea that he promotes uh, and then also an idea you see in, in his philosophy. So I, th I think stating this as having that focus of you know thinking about the purpose of food, purpose of food is just to build health and strength. One advantage of that picture is, as you say, that many ways people might cause themselves suffering or engage in vicious behavior with food is adding something on top of that picture, right? Whether it is pleasure or concern about reputation, what other people eat. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It's not very exciting. It's not very, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's Masonius for you. Or it's not very, I mean, it's just, it's just the kind of no nonsense, just, just a no nonsense approach. Just get what you need from it and get out of there. And don't, don't be spending, don't spend any more time swimming around in that because it's not going to, it's not going to help you. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was going to bring up this point issue issue later, but I think it may fit fit in well here. But one can push back on this picture of Musonius and say that it is, in fact, too narrow. It's too minimalist. It is true that, you know, the main purpose of food is its nourishing abilities and then, you know, <clears throat> it promotes health. And that's going to be you know, you can think of health in terms of performance, maybe performance as an athlete, performance in your career with relationships and so on. So that's that, that base level of food. But it's also true that, you know, we're social creatures and what we eat is a social and communal matter, I should say. And it's important not, not to overlook that. And I think sometimes the Stoics, perhaps not purposely, but in their... <clears throat> maxims effectively, effectively do that. You have that one line from the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, where he says, you know, the, the notes, if you just notes of some music, if you just focus them on them specifically, there's nothing to them. They're just sounds. There's, if you break, break it down, melody is nothing more than cacophonous sound, but there is something important in the fact that it's a, it's a melody and you're overlooking an important fact by just narrowing too far too into this single feature of the thing. Another example might be his line on sex is just the eruption of some mucus. And there's something to that, of, of course, but it's also has, it's also a very intimate matter 
at its best and is much more than that. So okay. I, yeah, my view of this is some, some amount of pushback. What's, what's your take? Well, no, I love that. I, I think that a lot, one thing, so to phrase that differently, one thing Stoics like to do is they like to play with perspective, right? And that's what something like, so when we're, when we're doing kind of Stoic mindfulness, we're doing Stoic training, we're often varying between different types of perspectives. So sometimes we're taking the view from above and we're expanding that perspective out to see patterns, similarities, macro movements, or sometimes we're constricting it to the micro, right? I'm in an incredibly stressful situation and I'm focusing only on what I can do in that moment. I'm focusing on the dichotomy of control. So there's this kind of shifting of perspective. And what I hear your, what I was hearing you to be saying, Caleb, is like, look, you can take that micro perspective and you could say, look, this is a, this is a collection of cells that provides nourish, nourishment to my body and I shouldn't treat it like anything else than that. You know, I'm not as poetic as Marcus Aurelius's lines. And you say, yeah, sure. In one sense, yeah, rice and chicken and some broccoli and you're good to go. But in another sense, you're missing the macro, which is the, your connection with your culture, your connection with other people, your connection within healthy limits to pleasure. You know, you having dessert for lunch or at lunch, not for lunch, but a little dessert <laughs> at lunch, right? So this... Yeah, that would be too much. No, no dessert for lunch. That's we've got to draw the line somewhere. There's these kind of there's these other factors that Masonius Rufus is missing when we pull it out to the macro. I think that's I think that's right. I think he's right in the micro, and maybe that's what you would say if you were a bodybuilder or you were a professional athlete and you had some sort of great goal. You'd kind of constrict and you say, look, this is just nutrients for my body. Don't think of anything else. Don't try to get anything else from this. But in the breadth of human life, I don't know if that's the only. That's certainly not the only healthy way to relate to food. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's right. You could sort of break it into two separate concerns. One sort of this meta point, if you will. The Stoics are always playing with the perspective. Marcus Aurelius decomposes things to see their true nature. He also expands to get this larger perspective. And both of those taking both of those views is important. But but when you do that, you need to ensure that when you zoom in, you're not erasing something that's clearly visible at some level. And likewise, when you zoom out, you're not blurring, blurring things together too much. So, so there's that sort of meta point, if you will. And then specifically, I think when it comes to food, when you ask, you know, what's the purpose of food? You do have that base function of health and strength, but arguably also this other matter, which is just its, its social purpose. And so that's sort of the specific point I'd I'd want to make there, you know, you have the fact that it relates to your culture, to your family, you know, you have memories about, you know, my grandmother's bread and how delicious that was, a smell brings home, you know, features of the house and different experiences, memories that I can continue to bond over with her while I can. So that's that, I think that's, that, that's the point I want to want to make there. Yeah. Great. Persuasive. Cool. Well, we also have some lines from Seneca, and Seneca's interesting because he talks about food in a number of places. You know, he does advocate persisting on the cheapest fare, you know, fasting sort of as a premeditatio practice. But something that sticks out to me is how he describes one of his tutors, Attalus, and he says, he says the following. Whenever he, and he here is Attalus, whenever he castigated our pleasure-seeking lives and extolled personal purity, moderation in diets, and a mind free from unnecessary, 
not to speak of unlawful pleasures, the desire came upon me to limit my food and drink. And that is why some of these habits have stayed with me, Lucilius. And he, he continues and then specifically notes, that is why I've forsaken oysters and mushrooms forever, since they're not really food, but are relishes to bully the sated stomach into further eating, as is the fancy of gourmands and those who stuff themselves beyond their powers of digestion. Down with it quickly and up with it quickly. What's your take then, on that? I mean, to add to that, too, like there's there, my understanding of it is there's a specific Roman practice of kind of overeating and actually binging and purging, right? Like and actually vomiting up. And so he's explicitly referring to this, right? This kind of thing of where, and I think you're seeing something, you're seeing something interesting there, right? Between this relationship between nature, you know, actively eating more than your body could eat to the point that you end up vomiting it up not even accidentally, sometimes just intentionally to just continue to eat. There you see this kind of perversion. You've kind of gone outside nature at that point, right? Or what the body is really meant to do in pursuit of, of pleasure. And then I think, I think what you're seeing here is you're actually seeing a pattern. And even though Seneca, so for Masonius Rufus, it's maybe rice and chi chicken or whatever it was in ancient Rome. And for Seneca, it's just not mushrooms and not you know not the fancy stuff oysters right so but but in both we're getting a picture we're just getting kind of in different extremes i think both are saying look only what's natural not what's unnatural and for masonius that's unnatural is anything that's not for nourishment of the body and for for seneca it's the things that literally have no nourishing value or those things consumed to such an extent that they actually become physically harmful but I think in both pictures, we're actually, yeah, we're actually getting a, a pattern here, which is, you know, don't forget the natural function of food and don't move too far from that because then you've gotten too, you've gotten too focused on something else. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the point about the practice of, you know, sampling dish after dish until, you know, you need to expurge whatever you've eaten and so that you can sample some more. Brings to, to light that, you know, like the circumstances you're in really do matter. And perhaps one reason Musonius Rufus make, has that really minimalist focus is by and large, he's speaking to Roman aristocrats who perhaps they're not as wealthy as Seneca, nonetheless, are the kind of Roman who likely have at their disposal the ability to engage in fine eating that the typical Roman of the day could not. And then when you come to Seneca, it's, he's, he's at the top of the top, essentially, at the height of his powers, where you know he's spending his days with people like Nero, who ha could do whatever they like with all sorts of things that bring pleasure, whether it's food or different social events yeah you're always gonna reminding me of that killer but i, I do lose track of that because i always imagine masonius talking to myself or the stock i read talking to myself but it's a, it, that that context is really important masonius isn't like going around smacking the single berry out of the poor children's hands and being like that's is that the most nutritious thing you could be eating right now like is that really or is there something else you could eat instead that has 
slightly more protein. He's not doing this. As you said, he's, he's, he's spending time with the wealthy. And if you're trying to move the needle and the needle's already way too far, but not just the wealthy, but you know, the, the, the Roman aristocrats, you, if, if the needle's already too far in that pleasure direction, well, then you're going to kind of pull it the other way and you're going to kind of offset it. I think that's, that's always really important context. I, I lose that sometimes when I read. Oh yeah. It's, I think, important thing to keep in mind. I suppose that you also see it in Marcus Aurelius too, somewhere. This, you know, it's always important to remember that he is writing to himself and the notes we make to ourselves are going to be somewhat of a trite point, but of course, personal matters in very biopersonal context. So, you know, perhaps he makes that point about music because people are, you know, literally writing songs about him to, you know, praise him in court or what have you. And, you know, it's just another reminder that you shouldn't let that sort of thing get to his head. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So all this talk about food, I think, you know, we're just sort of trying to bring to light what are the considerations that the Stoics discuss when they think about what to eat, what not to eat. And I think one sort of myth, or I would argue is a myth that sometimes is promoted in modern discussions of these matters, is that Stoics should only care what they eat and not say uh, anything else about what others are discussing. But I think here you see that the Stoics are constantly arguing and debating about what social norms they should have, whether it's Musonius, Rufus accosting his students, or there's the reports of Attalus, the tutor, to Seneca. And if you think about this, the Stoics argue about norms much more widely than just food, of course. So I think that one upshot, one sort of mistakes Stoics sometimes make is that you should really just care about your own behavior and not have opinions or make statements about what, in your view, others ought to eat, or at least bring to mind considerations that others should take into account when they're eating. Of course, that doesn't mean you go completely to the other end, perhaps, and start preaching the, you know, stoic diet TM. But, you know, I do think whenever people enter into these debates, there's usually at least one person who says stoics shouldn't care about what others or that has to do with restricting your diet, being vegetarian or vegan or what have you. Yeah, so at the end of this episode, stick around for the Stoic Diet TM, the book that we'll be putting out after this one. It's going to be pretty simple. It'll be pretty simple, it seems, so far. Yeah, so the, 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 there's the comment about food, but this is a comment that I think when we're talking about diet, it, it, it kind of goes into this fear of indifference more generally, where there's this tendency for intermediates to be like, well, I'm just focusing on myself. There's this real, I think, a misunderstanding of the dichotomy of control. I only care about what I do. What do you care about that other person for, and so on and so forth? And there again, it's that it's that it's that middle ground, right? You can go too far and be too obsessed about other people and allow this to really upset you and ruin your kind of you know your your happiness. But there's also there's also it's okay as a Stoic and Stoics do do this care about social norms, which means care about the behavior of yourself and the people you surround yourself with and the people in your community and have opinions about those norms. I know one thing we wanted to do is, is keep 
vegetarianism outside of this conversation, but something like that, like even though that's a behavior in others, Stoicism is not a philosophy of, whether you're pro-vegetarianism or not, Stoicism though is not a philosophy of just, you just do what's right in your individual action and you don't care at all about the actions of people within your community. I mean, certainly Seneca here, I mean, Seneca's example is like Seneca cares that the people he hangs out with intentionally kind of overeat on these incredibly expensive foods in their luxurious houses to the point that they're purging and then eating again. Seneca has an opinion on that. He doesn't agree with it. Can you think of anything anything else? Any kind of other examples of times when Stoics would have opinions about what people eat? Like, I agree it's not off the table, but when would we, in today's time, when should we care? Yeah, I think, well, one important matter is when does what we eat concern matters of justice? And so I think, you know, we will have a discussion on vegetarianism, veganism. Today we'll focus on some of the I think that's a, a sort of a specific discussion. So today we'll focus on some of these broader type considerations, but the justice is a good one. Some people, you know, they might have the view that you shouldn't drink Diet Coke or something like that because of the way it's produced. Very similar, another kind of justice related concern. But I think it also extends to the other virtues, if you will. You sometimes see the thought that you know you shouldn't spend that much money on fine foods because doing so is immoderate maybe there's some defense for norms around eating around healthy eating generally there are different ways that can look of course but i i don't think that's off off the table by by any means yeah i mean going through the virtues you have justice moderation as you mentioned i don't know i was thinking almost courage like this thing of like you travel and you don't eat somebody else's food because it scares you too much or something it's like come on try yeah that's a great example i think actually (laughs) and it's like the good a good person would be the kind of person that you know eats the (laughs) eats the dish of somebody else's country even though you know you're not sure if you're gonna like it or not and yeah so 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 I guess when we grounded in food, this comes back to kind of contemplation of the sage, right? When grounded in food, it's yeah, it doesn't really get me that excited. It doesn't really make me think. Just for those justice considerations, that there's that much important going on. Uh, when you're, as long as you're not being, I said, as you unjust or immoderate. But then there's this kind of view of like, you know, well, how would the sage engage with it? And I think then you you bring a lot of other things in about this kind of communal aspect. Obviously, moderately, obviously in a just way, but then obviously, but also in a way that is. I don't know, courageous, explorative, pleasure-seeking to the correct amount, social, communal. So there's that kind of, I guess that kind of, again, putting it on a pedestal with that ideal relationship with food look like. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I that Stoicism asks us to think about because it asks us to think about that in relation to, to all indifference. And so that's kind of a fun question. Yeah, I think so. Another way it might crop up is there are some cultures that are focused on optimizing what food they consume. And whether that's for performance-related reasons, or it might be for something like longevity. I want to eat a specific diet in order to live as long as possible. And I think that Stoics can say things both in support and also critiquing those kinds of projects. And it's really going, of course, they'll point out that the context matters, but if you take the optimizing for longevity 
in some senses, it might not be worth optimizing for longevity if by doing so, you know, you're doing some extreme calorie restriction diet that leaves you so lightheaded you can't tend to your relationships 100%. So I think that's the sort of thing that they can push back against or at least bring some of these broader considerations into play. Don't you feel like that goes against Masonius's point? Like, is not Masonius's point one of maximization? Yeah, so I don't think he's talking about optimizing health and strength. So yeah, I guess I was thinking of... That's a good point. You know, like, what's the diet that really pushes the, the needle and giving me that extra year or what have you? Whereas... I think he's saying, you know, of course you should promote health and strength, but you also shouldn't do so at the at the expense of other important projects. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that just highlights a, a point we've made a number of ways already, but it is that fact that you know context does matter eating is one thing among many you know people often turn to diets to fix problems with health meaning identity what have you that's a tendency we should be wary of of course many people see food as sacred there are taboo foods and that has both positive and negative expressions there is a, a worry that sometimes people spend too much trying to optimize what food they eat and they would be better not not minding what they consume or spending less time on what they and others around them consume. So in a way, it's a, not an especially exciting point, but it is an important one just always to keep in mind is this, these factors of context, details, looking at the specific situations. Yeah, in many ways, stoicism is this philosophy, I think, that tries to get the best of both worlds in a sense because Virtue, in a sense, is very uncontextual. Virtue and vice. Non-contextual, virtue is always good, vice is always bad. So when we, re when we reduce ourselves down to that dichotomy of control, there in one way is always this North Star. But then it also invites and recognizes that there is a lot of context and a lot of ambiguity and a lot of particular nuance when it comes to indifference and comes to the way that we navigate that world. So in Epictetus, you have that division between the discipline of desire and then the discipline of action. So desire being about virtue and vice, action being about navigating these indifference. And if we get too much thinking about virtue and vice, that's the kind of thing that causes people to be like, why do you care what that person eats? Why do you care about what somebody else says? You know, just focus on yourself 100% and like put yourself inside that inner citadel. But the Stoics also want to get outside of that citadel they want to you know be be secure there but also act outside of it and and mm -hmm. food is it food is a funny one to talk about because it is so contextually specific and it's a fun one to kind of pull out the implications of right all right so we'll by way of wrapping up maybe we can just touch on some of these broader heuristics perhaps not considerations that determine how you should act in a specific situation but i think things to keep in mind that I think are useful from the Stoics. The first one 
to keep in mind is just, I think, this point about moderation. Musonius Rufus has another line, gluttony is nothing other than the lack of self-control with respect to food, and human beings prefer food that is pleasant to food that is nutritious. Part of this point about moderation is you know, knowing the right amount of things, and the right amount isn't determined by how pleasant a given experience is, but rather by more important considerations. The Stoics are not Epicureans. Epicureans were a rival Stoic school that essentially held that the best life is the one that feels the best, that's the most pleasant. For the Stoics, the best life is the virtuous one. It's where you properly manage indifference, where you make excellent choices, where you are an excellent person. And that's the sort of thing to keep in mind when thinking about moderation. And food is just one of those things to be to be moderate about. Totally. Cool. Yeah. What do you have for sort of one of these heuristics or thoughts that you, wanna, mean, that you want to end on? Another heuristic, I think, is that one of the other one of the other things that I came to was this idea that we can learn from good eating the same way we can learn from other skills. I don't know, good eating, but this, there's this idea that you know, even though we care about virtue and vice, and they're you know, eating itself is is it's about navigating an indifference. There's a kind of a craft or a skill to having that good relationship with with food, and if you can apply that back to the way you live your life in other domains, you can also have excellence in those other domains. And I wanted to bring in a quote by Epictetus here because you know we had the Masonius, we had Seneca, Marcus. I had to, I had to bring him back to Epictetus, and he says, "quote Remember that you ought to behave in life as you would at a banquet. As something is being passed around, it comes to you. Stretch out your hand, take a portion of it politely. It passes on. Do not detain it." or it has not yet come to you, do not project your desire to meet it, but wait until it comes in front of you. So act towards children, so toward a wife, so toward office, so toward wealth. And Epictetus there is making an analogy between the person who can basically navigate a dinner party well uh, and someone who lives life well. The person who navigates a dinner party well or a banquet is the one that says, oh, you know, you brought the hors d'oeuvres in front of me. Yeah, that looks nice. I'll take some. I'll take the right amount. Oh, it's the plate ran out, that's okay, or it's not yet here. I'm not going to run over and push other people out of the way to get it. And so this is, there's this lesson about life of if the opportunity strikes, take it, but don't, don't have this inappropriate desire outside of that. And mm-hmm. it's funny, Epictetus is making an analogy to somebody who's you know, at a banquet, somebody who's navigating a dinner party well. And I just think that's, a, that's kind of fun things that we can, we can learn from everything and we can apply those lessons from the, any kind of domain of indifference back to our own life. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. I think this line about moderation goes back to the first quote from Musonius, Rufus, where you're thinking about self-control generally and how how you eat is a matter of self-control. But also, of course, when you see self-control and eating done very well, you can learn from that and bring that into other, other domains. One, one useful heuristic that we had, so we have Musonius on the purpose of food. It's about promoting health and strength. I think if you add to that as promoting social relationships, you do come to a, a solid 
philosophy of the purpose of food, which is, you know, it's about promoting human health. It's also because of that, a way to bond with other humans, either by enjoying meals together, creating meals for others or what have you. So I think that that stab at the, the telos of food is a, is a good heuristic. And when you, as you made the point earlier, when you go beyond that, try to maximize pleasure too much, try to think about reputation for its own sake, instead of promoting good relationships, that might be where people end up in less than ideal situations with food. Yeah. So when you were thinking that, I was thinking, well, so you're saying is that you can be a stoic and have a drink with your friends, <laughs> which I think is, I think it's true. And it's true, even though, you know, drinks aren't good for you because you're, you're fulfilling that social relationship. And then I was thinking, well, what happens there if you take away the friends and obviously everything in moderation, I'm not saying you can't have, you can't, you know, have a, have a drink at the end of a long day or something like that, but there becomes something something we even now we think about, you know, if, if you engage in like substantial drinking by yourself or you're kind of removing the, the food part from the social part, the kind of the dimension of it changes a little bit. So yeah, I agree. And, and to build on that with another heuristic is this idea that food is, it's, it's something, it's always part of a greater context in your own life. It's one part of many. So People often turn to diets to fix problems with health, with the meaning of their life, with their identity. So, you know, you want to feel a different way about yourself. You want to feel like a kind of person who's in control. You want to feel like a kind of person who looks a certain way. There, there, there is when you're, it's so hard to talk about food in abstract in this conversation. I found it's been incredibly hard to talk about food just as food, because often when you think of food, you always think of it as being intertied with one of these other things right? Yeah. With your self-identity, with your goals, with your aspirations, with stress, as you said, meaning, things like this. So just when you think about your, your own relationship with food, recognize that it's, 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 it's one part of many, recognize how those things interrelate. Try for your own help and your own progress to kind of pull those apart. Because if there's something going wrong, it's probably in relation to, to some sort of combination with those other things in the kind of the more complex meaning it's taken on, I think. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think re related to that, the, the last heuristic I'll add is, you know, have some skepticism about the stories or narratives and associations we have with so many foodstuffs. So from Marcus, we have, how good is it when you have roast meat or such like foods before you to impress on your mind that this is the dead body of a fish? This is the dead body of a bird or pig. And again, that the Falerian wine is the mere juice of grapes. And what that, that shows is this decomposition technique, breaking things down into their parts to question a specific narrative about how fancy, regal, what Marcus has to consume and how those meals could easily be the object of false beliefs where he overrates himself, overrates the value of the court or what have you. So that's, and that's, I, th I think a tendency that 
many of us perhaps we're not not in the, in, in the same position we're not in some fancy hmm. roman court but you know people do have different stories about uh what's good to eat or not and having some amount of skepticism about those stories you know if i eat this and i'll be that kind of person or what have you um or perhaps even even the rejection of those stories if i don't care about food at all then that means i'm this kind of person having some skepticism about those stories is uh, an important important thing i mean that's a great point i mean the fact that you can go and there can be you know you can buy thousand dollar gold ice cream you know this is a thing that exists the fact that that exists in the real world shows that there's still some sort of connection between food and stories and status but i thought your point the opposite way was a really good one too because it's very easy for us to sit here and judge you know people that eat thousand dollar gold ice cream which i assume was not the kind of ice cream you had at lunch today and i apologize if it was but the the you go the other way too, right? It was like, well, if I don't eat this, if I abstain from this, if I, then that means something about me. And just kind of, again, always come back to that decomposition, always be critical of the kind of stories you're telling. And food is just one way we tell those stories. I think that's a great point to end on. Excellent. Awesome. Well, those are some of our thoughts about stoicism and diet. I hope it's useful. Reach out to us if you think there's some heuristics you think we should have added to our list and you know we'll be talking about this some more there have been some good conversations pieces on whether stoics ought to be vegetarian or vegan so bringing into that debate about justice specifically and we'll probably have a conversation on that in the not too distant future but before doing that we wanted to have this have this broader broader question discussion first so i hope you all found it useful and as always feel free to reach out with any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. Yeah, thanks, Caleb. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. And if you'd like to get two meditations from me on Stoic theory and practice a week, just two short emails on whatever I've been thinking about, as well as some of the best resources we found for practicing stoicism, check out stoaletcher.com. It's completely free. You can sign up for it and then unsubscribe at any time as you wish. If you want to dive deeper still, search Stoa in the App Store or Play Store for a complete app with routines, meditations, and lessons designed to help people become more stoic. And I'd also like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. You can find more of his work at ancientliar.com. And finally, please get in touch with us. Send a message to stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback, questions, or recommendations. Until next time.